How are you? I'm doing all right. But how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Um, I hear a little bit of an accent there. Oh, I'm in the States. Ah, oh, I thought you were, yeah. for some reason, I thought you were local. I spend two weeks a month in Melbourne and two weeks a month in the States. That's a big travel. Four days on airplanes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I work Australia hours when I'm here. And this is the first time I've been able to get to a Melbourne um, Scrum users. Anyway, good, good set of folks over there, it seems like. Tell me a little bit about what role you do, and, and then I'll ask you about the meetup. If that's right. So, um, so I came in as an enterprise coach on this, on a Telstra engagement. You know, so it's it's very ephemeral in some ways what I do as a coach because I can do tool stuff, but I don't care to, and I don't think it's very important. I can do, you know, I can talk to people about specific sorts of processes and practices, but mostly these days, uh, even though I love to do a technical, here's exactly how to do TDD and let's do some katas or do a mob programming workshop, and I think those are important to do, and, and I like doing them. But I like doing them because of the way they fit into the mindset if you want to actually be agile and and really be transformative. Um, and so mostly I'm about the why, yeah. and we can get into the how, but I feel like if you don't if you don't buy into the why, the how doesn't matter. Yeah, so my role is enterprise coaching, which – at this point nets out to I'm in this quasi supervisory role for some team level coaches that are assigned with teams and are working directly with scrum masters and POs. Um, so I do some of that and then I do some outreach in terms of this group of like eight hour long conversations around different aspects of agile and why we care about them. They really are a conversation. So, so yeah, it's it's an it's a coaching role where I, I, I coach, and it changes depending on what it seems like we need. Yeah, excellent. And how about yourself? I founded a small consulting firm with a co-founder who's in the other room right now, Tony. We've been going for about a year. My my mm-hmm. background in. Um, I guess agile lean systems thinking goes back about 20 years back to mm-hmm. XP and I used to work for ThoughtWorks back then and then I've been in and out of consultancy and coaching since then sometimes leading big technology teams between 40 and 100 people inside mm-hmm. kind of big agile transformations and being part of that change and then sometimes helping from outside so mm-hmm. uh, a little bit mm-hmm. of everything we're not particularly framework aligned um, we talk a lot more about values and principles and mindset mm-hmm. um yeah so we've both been in this game a long time like yourself i guess so um like to approach it more from that angle than telling kind of people exactly what to do and how to do it um, yes although a lot of times people would love for you to just tell them what to do and how to do it and like yeah. well first we got to get over that yeah <laughs> so well that's a kind of good segue into the meetup there's been quite a lot of good discussion since then, and your name was dropped as someone that uh, I should get in touch with and talk about. So I'm interested in your perspective of how the meetup went. Hmm. So I thought the meetup was interesting, but I come at it a little bit from having 
you know, so I've had roles as VP of development for a reasonably large telecom before. I've had some director roles in telecoms and uh, primarily telecom and some and retail. I worked for Macy's for a while. So I've been the consumer of consultancy of, of consultants yeah. products or wares or, or work. Uh, and then I've also had spent some time where I had contracted to large consultancies as staff augmentation sort of role as a coach, you, you know, generally as a coach. Um, so I kind of understand the, the three sides of that, um, you know, from the, from the client's point of view, you're hoping to get some value and you really want to see accelerators from the consultancy point of view, you want to bill them a million bucks a month for as long as possible. And from the contractor for the consultancy's view, uh, my approach has been, I want to be able to do good work while not being part of all of the stuff that goes into being in the consultancy, especially the big ones, right? The subject of the meetup was one of the reasons I made sure to go. I had sort of uh, decided that I'm going to go and I'm just going to sit in the corner and watch and see what happens. And that lasted nearly five minutes. So, <laughs> so you were, you were moved to be involved in the discussion. Yeah. I, I want it. Well, yeah, because um, I don't know, frequently you find, uh, or I find that I can be in a position to catalyze some discussion and it's super low risk for me. So for, you know, for those reasons, I'd, I'd like to go on and, ca and catalyze that conversation yeah. and let people get things going. So, um, and it's always, you know, the stuff's always interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, the other is that um, it's funny when you have people, the, the Telstra engagement in particular, there's multiple consultancies involved in multiple sort of parallel uncoordinated with each other efforts. In fact, they're not only uncoordinated, they're somewhat competitive in some, in some ways, uh, these competitive efforts with each other. Um, so, you know, it, it was a little bit of fun and entertainment involved yeah, right. in that. <laughs> so it seems like maybe you were fueling the conversation somewhat. Just a little to, you know, <laughs> just a little. Um, is there, do you think there is such a, a thing as a, a good coexistence between coach, independent coaches and big consultancies or, or multiple big consultancies? Or I, I really, I think that there is. Where we fail a lot of times in that is that we'll hire, uh, we'll hire an experienced coach that's independent and we'll say, oh, we want to bring this person in. They've got, you know, uh, they've got some sort of uh, reputation in the marketplace. They're known to, you know, maybe they're known to not be completely full of crap. Um, and, and we need the help so that we can do this agile thing. Uh, followed very quickly by um, let's protect ourselves from having these folks too directly involved with the decision makers in the company because that might be challenging to our business model. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that's where it, 
I think that's where the consultancy gets a little bit in their own way um, and does a little bit of a disservice to the client and frankly frustrates the independent consult the independent coaches. So I think being able to talk about that and talk about that together and say, look, but if we want to help clients, how can we better do that? I was at a different uh, engagement and we had four coaches for the um, consultancy. We were kind of doing upskilling on some coaches that were local to the company that, you know, that were uh, FTEs with the company. But we had like 12 people making PowerPoint decks and doing all of the communication and doing sort of this big upfront planning. None of them were agilists in any way and had never been agilists. In fact, most of them had never actually had a job other than this first one that they were working as a consultant. Super smart kids, you know, so... So they were the ones that were having the meetings with the decision makers on the client side and kind of keeping the coaches, the, the, the not cheap coaches away from having any sort of uh, uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and I think that that seems to be somewhat common. Yeah. Do you think there's also a, a prescriptive over-adaptive message that's coming from um, the big consultancies yeah i mean look they love safe right safe is handy it's very comfortable for command and control organizations to adopt hey we can still be command and control but look at all these agile words we can use and um we can put our stuff in jira we make everyone stand up for 15 minutes and and call it done um and we can tick the boxes on on the maturity model assessments which is another thing. Generally, clients and the consultancies feed into this, the idea that, oh, let's set a 30, 60, 90-day goals on how many teams are going to reach a certain maturity level and, and adopt a certain set of practices and everything, all of which is just completely antithetical to, to becoming high performance. And um, I won't even talk about becoming agile. I say, look, we want to be a more high performance organization how can we be my more high performance um, today? Our discussion uh, uh, making work and progress visible. Uh, what I wanted to get across, and I think I, I did, was the idea that we don't make the work and the progress visible in order to be able to better track it. You've already got a schedule. You can use Microsoft uh, Project for that to track what's happening and if it's happening by the date you want. We make it visible. As, as an analog to being able to look at the factory floor and see where the, where the bottlenecks are and, and work to correct them. But uh, half of that conversation was a, turned out to be the folks in the room talking about how better to use the tools and do the tracking and how it wasn't that much different than tracking scheduling, getting the mindset around, look, this is not for tracking. This is so you can understand where to understand and prioritize what to improve. I don't think consultancies care much about that at all. Maybe it doesn't matter if some of the orgs never really get there. Maybe that's, right. maybe that's just natural selection. I don't know. Yeah, look, I'm, I think I'm okay with... Um, so I've been on a quest for a couple of years to figure out if there are generally applicable activities that we can undertake these uh, organizational transformations that might make it more successful. It's funny to me when I hear someone, and 
say, oh, I was involved, I transformed this organization and that organization and the other organization. And they're talking about big organizations. And I'm like, I'm not actually aware of any enterprise scale, successful organizational transformations. I don't think that case study, if you peel off anything more than the, you know, just scrape the the fingernail polish off of the very top layer, you'll find out that it's not. But I, but I still think it's, I think that there's the hint of the possibility that you could actually move a, a traditional enterprise organization from mediocre, you know, average performing 10% a year improvement to truly high performing order of magnitude uh, difference in their, uh, in their segment. And again, that case study doesn't exist that I'm aware of. So do you think that when the clients, when, when the consultants have left, do you think the client feels like that they're in a good place? Well, well, I mean, look, this is a thing, um, and I've tweeted about this before. A lot of times the folks that are buying, right, and the folks that are leading transformations at enterprises, their incentives, their compensation, their expectations are so constrained that they, do, they frequently feel that it's been successful because they got the incremental 10 or 12% bump that they were hoping to get. Um, and they got the number of teams appearing to be agile that they had, that they had, was in their goal to appear to make agile. Um, and they got their bonus. So all is, all is good. Right. So they, they may very well feel that they've been successful. Uh, at the same time, some of the coaches that were in that, in that situation may see a, may see a lot of lost opportunity and in fact, may see a situation where where the people that work there, their lives might have been improved a little bit, mm. but the psychological safety didn't happen. the The real productivity didn't happen. Most teams and managers will still revert to a command and control thing when they get scared, but they haven't got to that point where they know. My instinctual reaction now, when I face it, this fear is not to back off. Now it's to go for it and get the thing done. Yeah. We don't get them to that, to that point frequently. Yeah, and it can be a bit of a, it's a tough one to judge. And I think, you know, personally, I know that I hold back if I've recently had a conversation where it's not gone well. <laughs> and, right, and right. I, and you said something that's been a little bit too, a little bit too crash through for the client maybe. And sometimes that happens. And look, I don't want it to be, come over like, oh, or come across like, oh, this whole thing is just doomed to failure and, mm. and frustration and is a bad deal for, for clients because I don't think that that's the case. I just think that with, I think that we can do better. Yeah. And, I guess yeah. another thing is in the roles we have, we're kind of geared to have our improvement dials turned up all the time. So we like yeah. find things to improve everywhere. everywhere. Um, yeah, I used to call that the um, the consultant's dilemma, right? So, uh, you know, people hire you to make things better. So you notice all the areas where you can make things better and you start talking about them and now you're the problem. <laughs> She's so negative, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
So personally, do you feel it's easy to work with the big consultancies or do you have a strategy you use when they're about? Uh, look, I'm happy to work with them. The only thing, uh, consultancies add a lot of danger to a coach's life situation. Um, because if you, if you come across, you can easily come across too strong or come across as threatening or be seen as, as counterproductive to the thing they want to do. So particularly if they've, they've kind of got a playbook. Um, I was talking to someone earlier who says, Oh, I came to this place. I didn't know they had a playbook. If I had known there was a playbook, I wouldn't have bothered coming. Um, and I completely understand, you know, so they've got a playbook and, and you start talking out of, out of school and off of the playbook, they can shut you down or get you fired, you know, which can be uncomfortable. You got kids and cars and house and mortgages and stuff. People would like to be able to, to actually work. So I think they add an element of danger and an element of uh, psychological danger to the coaches and to the entire environment mm. that they might not like to. So when I talk to consultancies and they say, oh, we'd like you to come and you know work on this engagement for some period of time, I try to have that conversation up front with whoever's running the, whoever, whoever owns the engagement. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say, look, if you, if you don't want someone who's going to come in here and just, and tell the truth and sometimes talk out of school and help you improve your, whatever your scheme is, then I'm probably not your guy. But if you're good with that, uh, then what I need to know is when we run into, when we run into a problem and I've made you uncomfortable based on this stuff or whatever, then we're going to talk about it rather than I'm going to find out you don't want me anymore yeah. uh, on a Friday afternoon or whatever. I think, um, I mean, you strike me as someone quite experienced and confident in your abilities. I guess I feel a little bit for the, the people inside the organisation who might be more junior in, in their um, coaching experience or even, I don't know, if they have permanence inside mm. these organisations. I think I know that in one big bank in Melbourne there's some permanence inside the bank that are feeling quite ignored by the consultancies. Mm -hmm. And I mean, do you have any advice for how those people could engage? That's a weird thing because, you know, when you, um, I've come into companies as a consultant and then been hired uh, as an, as an FTE. Yeah. And it's, and it's always funny, you know, we talk about it like it's a joke, but it's a very real phenomenon that, that you're super smart right up until you become an employee. And then, you know, you're just as clueless as everybody else. Yeah, you become part uh, of the problem. You're right. So, um, so one of the things that I do when I'm in the engagement is really try to acknowledge those coaches, those managers, those individual contributors, the stuff they're doing, really um, publicly and frequently acknowledge their expertise in their domain and the need for them to own their solutions but but they are frequently not the problem, not the solution that I might initially come up with. Mm. So uh, so it's a it's a you've got to acknowledge and you've got to challenge. But I think it's if consultancies want those folks to engage with them, I think you've got to have you've got to authentically engage with the FTEs that are there, uh, you know, with the permanent employees that are there. And authenticity is is rare and, and can be difficult. And look, I think a lot of people in consultancies, especially 
if that's all they've ever done, come in and and maybe or maybe suffer a little uh, of their own insecurities about their domain knowledge and things like that, which can lead to uh, less than optimal behaviors yeah. when dealing yeah. with the folks that that are challenging them about the domain and and things like that. So, look, I think the advice for consultancies is the same as the advice for firms and people who are trying to transform is that, you know, authenticity and empathy and those things are are really key to being able to engage. So. Try not to ask it in a leading question kind of way, but do you think that you will see we'll see more big consultancies getting into this space? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's too much money for them to ignore it. Enterprise customers are hungry. They want to be high performing. They don't even know what that necessarily looks like for them, but they but they want to have it. So I can't imagine that the big consultancies wouldn't be heavily involved. Look, it's part of my my uh, career plan going forward is that they will be and that they'll find the work for me to do. And I'll be able to, um, you know, and I'll be able to work with them as a contractor to, to be doing that work. What I hope to see, and uh, look, I think McKinsey has done some of it um, Boston has obviously done a little bit of it, but the consultancies themselves are going to have to change, or at least their practice around around agile uplift is going to have to change in ways that are 180 degrees from what consultancies do cultural culturally. Mm-hmm. Small consultancies get it, and they are agile, and they have to be. The problem with them is you're paying the bills now, and you can already and your, and money's coming in, and you can already see the desert. Yeah, you can already see skinny times coming, uh, right? So, um, and the big consultancies are just printing money. The rates that they're able to demand are incredible. But yeah, I think they'll, I think they'll continue to be in it. And what I hope w- will happen is that they'll capture more actual agilists. The culture of a con- of a, the big consultancies in particular just sucks. And an, an agilist that can that has a lot of career options, which they all do, it's going to be incredibly difficult for the consultancies to capture those people. You know, and I wouldn't recommend it for people. I'm like, if you want to work for a big consultancy, do that as a contractor, and you know, be off on Friday instead of traveling to some other city trying to get a new client or whatever, yeah. and doing the sales cycle. So, yeah, well, I could see. Great to 